Welcome back to Second and Short. It is February 10th, 2023, and we've got the Super Bowl coming up this Sunday. we got a whole lot to talk about. Before I run you through what we're talking about today, remember, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure you give us a follow, leave a five-star review, and if you're on YouTube, subscribe, like, turn on notifications, and make sure you follow us on all of our socials to stay updated on everything Second and Short. All right, we're talking, of course... Super Bowl preview. We're going to give you our top five Super Bowl player performances, some NFL news, some MLB news, uh, some more Premier League weekend preview. We're going to hit you with that new segment, Do You Remember? And finish it out, as always, with Stake Your Claim. Luke, you ready to get into the Super Bowl? Let's do it. All right. It's Super Bowl 57. Legends have been made. Dynasties have been cemented. Stars have faced heartbreak, whilst the others experience bliss. The confetti falls on both teams, but only one may be victorious. One team of 53 men have fought the fight. The other 31 teams left for dead. And the past is written, but the future lies ahead. These men have fought off the most dangerous of foes. Birds of prey, the king of the jungle, outlaws amongst the common men. But one thing stands true. The Chiefs and Eagles will fight the fight. But one can raise the illustrious Lombardi Trophy. One can bask in the glory. And one will go down in history as the champions. It's Kansas City versus Philadelphia. It's Chiefs versus Eagles. Mahomes versus Hurts. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the 57th iteration of the Super Bowl. Yeah. Fox, Fox, if you'd like to use that, reach out. There's plenty of time. I'm willing to workshop some ideas, and uh, we can discuss. We could. We can discuss numbers. Exactly. He wants the super max. <laughs> Come on, Fox, do it. Give me the Brady. Give me the Brady contract. <laughs> oh, he's getting paid a lot of damn money. <laughs> he sure is. I didn't man. realize that. Like, and and he's taking a little career. break. He's not even going to start next season. Yeah, and we get more Greg Olson. Yes, dude, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Without further ado, Super Bowl 57, let's get into it. Chiefs, Eagles. Eagles, one-and-a-half-point favorite, playing it at State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. Under over is set at 51 points. Luke, what's your first reactions to this matchup? I I didn't realize, and this, is kind of, this isn't really about the matchup, I didn't realize that the Eagles have outscored their opponent 69, nice, to 14 in two playoff games. Yeah, I mean they're they're going in super hot to this game, and one of them was a divisional rival, and that's I don't know that's a big deal for the Eagles coming into this game. I think that a lot of people their gripe, you know, if any, is that the Giants are a team they've faced multiple times this year. They didn't have a problem with them the first two times. Of course, they weren't going to have a problem the third time. And then yeah. Purdy gets injured in the championship game, and once again the people have an excuse. To say, oh, well, the Eagles maybe aren't as good as we thought. They haven't really faced like a, a true competitor because of injuries and you know what what have it. But I think the Eagles are for real. Yeah, but I do too. I mean I think the problem is that Patrick Mahomes is on the field. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. But I, I think the Eagles have a secondary that could potentially wreak havoc on Mahomes. And of course we're gonna go into more of this preview, but 
I think this Super Bowl, Grayson, will be very similar to the Chiefs and Bucks Super Bowl. I think you're going it, to – it'll be a much closer game, but I think you're going to see a lot of Mahomes under pressure, especially with that bad angle that'll – or bad ankle, sorry, that'll, uh, you know, hurt his odds. And the Eagles have a secondary that, you know, they're, they're ball hawks. They got guys on there that can get picks. I, I think it could be a tough day for the Chiefs. I don't know, man. Look, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. Even though he isn't 100%, I'd take him in high-pressure situations over any other active quarterback. And there is no higher-pressure situation than the Super Bowl. It's true, but he was probably the best quarterback in the league whenever he played against um, the Buccaneers and Tom Brady, too, though. And that got bad. I'm going to give him – I'm going to pull this card. He was young. Okay. I mean, you know what? I, I don't even care about that card because that, that's a that's a fair card to pull. You know, he was young. But, yeah, it'll definitely it, – these two teams are going to go at it. This isn't going to be a blowout either way, I don't think. I'm so excited for this game. Yeah, look, the, the Eagles' defense is no joke. Number one passing defense this season. But Mahomes has never shied away from that challenge. He's faced the number one passing defense in the – in or the number one passing defense from the regular season, he's faced him twice in the playoffs. He's never lost. All right, wow. Nicole Hardman is inactive, but you bring Clyde Edwards-Alaire back. Whether his impact is big or not, it's helpful. If he's on the field, he's just another decoy to take the attention away from Mahomes, and another person to take attention away from Travis Kelsey. I think he's the key here for the Chiefs is Travis Kelsey. And it it may, might sound like, yeah, of course he is. He's, you know, big target share guy. But it's more that he takes all the attention when he's on the field. In the Chiefs' Super Bowl win in 2019, he was held to six receptions for 43 yards, and he got a touchdown. And you might think that that's still a pretty good stat line, but he only got targeted six times. Mahomes attempted 42 passes. For only six of those to go to now one of the greatest tight ends in the history of football, it's kind of crazy. But it's because he captures eyes. Normally, your secondary should have their eyes on the quarterback. But they're worried about what Kelsey can do once he gets the ball. So, if not everyone, or sorry, if everyone is glued to Kelsey, it's just like, you know, damage control. And of course, they had Tyreek Hill in 2019. He got 16 targets, 9 receptions, but the real outlier there was Sammy Watkins. He got 6 targets. And there's not a world where Sammy Watkins should be targeted 6 times in a Super Bowl. But that only happened because Kelsey captured the attention. And I think this Sunday, if the ball does not go to Kelsey, the question is who does it go to? Yeah, I mean, the the Chiefs, here's the thing is, like, Kelsey gets, you know, he absorbs the receptions and all the targets from Mahomes. But they they have still a, a plenty of talent. Um, you know, like you mentioned, they have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who's proven that he can be a receiving back. They have Jarek McKinnon, who's an even better receiving back than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, in my opinion. Plus, you have guys like Juju and Kadarius Toney, which Kadarius Toney, like, has been really quiet on the Chiefs, which surprises me. He's got a lot of damn talent. But guys like him and, um, oh, my gosh, don't they have another receiver on that team? Yes, it's Marquez Valdez-Scantling. That's who I was thinking of. He's a, you know, we've seen the kind of deep threat he can be with Aaron Rodgers uh, with the Packers. You know, I, I think it'll be time for Mahomes to really spread the ball around, especially because we know Kelsey's going to get targeted or um, by the Eagles defense. We know the Eagles defense is good. I'd like to see one of the other guys step up big today or yeah. on Monday. That's what I'm saying, like, 
you know, when it comes down to like who does the ball go to, you have Valdez Scantling or Juju, who are both questionable. You have Pacheco out of the backfield, you have McKinnon out of the backfield. But I think that the ball will end up in Kadarius Tony's hands a little bit more than we'd expect because he'll be open. Look, Darius Slay is going to be on either MVS or Juju. James Bradbury will be on the other. So who is left for Kadarius Tony? Avante Maddox isn't 100% right now. He's questionable. You could bring Reed Blankenship down from the free safety position for coverage, but he's young. He doesn't have a lot of experience, and I'm just really not all that you know excited about how he's played. So who's going to lock down Tony, especially with his speed and ability after the catch? Yeah, and I, that's a huge question for Philly's defense going into um, Sunday, but you know, I, I think the Eagles, they have the defense second game plan around it. I think you might see instead of a lot of um, corners shadowing guys, you might see a lot of zone schemes where they'll kind of have to cover two people on the same play or, you know, obviously at different times, you're not going to cover the same player or two different players at the same time. But like, you know what I'm saying is like, they might want to try to spread around their talent in the secondary in order to stop all of them collectively. Yeah. And look, I'm not saying that like the Chiefs like obviously have an answer because the Eagles offense is nothing to scoff at. Hertz looks like he's getting less and less worried about that shoulder injury every game and it makes them more and more lethal every week. But the question is how will the offensive line adjust to a different pass rush from what they saw um in the championship against the 49ers. The Niners are very edge and linebacker heavy on their pass rush whereas the Chiefs they are their best asset is up the middle with Chris Jones. He's going to occupy Kelsey and most likely Sayumalo. But if he starts getting hot on the quarterback, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they start kind of shifting Lane Johnson after the snap to assist on Chris Jones. But that's going to leave Frank Clark to Sayumalo. So it, it's it's really tough when there's just talent all over. But if they can lock down that right side, you know, they, it might help out a lot. But with everything going on, George Karloftis is left is on the left, and I think he could have a big impact in this game. Yeah, the the Chiefs definitely, and you know, you and I can I I think both attest to this. The Chiefs have a super underrated, like you know, kind of front. What is that? Four players there on the D line for the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, they have an incredible front four that just does not get a lot of attention, but. Here's the thing. The Eagles, uh, even though they put up 31 against the 49ers, and as you pointed out, the 49ers have a kind of different um, style of good defense and as where as their like, positioning is. But we've seen Philly against the Niners, you know, kind of dumb down their offense and play super gritty. The Eagles did not have a lot of uh, receiving yards or rushing yards. They, you know, they didn't have a lot of total offense in the whole game, but they still put up 31 points. And I think that'll be, you know, kind of big – against the Chiefs is if the Chiefs start pass rushing, I think the Eagles can kind of dumb it down and play gritty and still get the win. Yeah, and when it comes to the Super Bowl, I think we often forget about the unsung heroes. Like the guys that are, you know, left to do the dirty work and really earn the win for their team. The You know, the same kind of guys that are going to go home a week later after the parade and everything settled down, and that's when next season starts for them. No matter what, you know, that result, is inevitable. There's guys just like that. And I think George Karloftis appears to be that kind of guy. He's the kind of guy, go into the game, do the dirty work for the defensive line, 
And, you know, no matter what the result is, the next season starts in a week. Um, I, I don't have much to say about George Karlaftis. He's, you know, really underrated, super good. Um, has he? He's played with Kansas City his whole career, right? I'm pretty sure he's young, like a rookie, maybe a second year. Yeah, I, I think he's a second year because I want to say um, he was playing last year, but really, really big um, jump as far as last year to this year. He's become a superstar on this Chiefs D line. He's actually a rookie. Uh, round wow. one, pick 30, 2022. Okay. Well, damn. Well, he's an immediate impact player then. Yeah. And, look, I think he's going to have a big impact. Like I said a little bit earlier, there's going to be a lot going on on the right side with Frank Clark and Chris Jones. And that's going to leave George Karloftis the opportunity to kind of meet Mahomes if he's trying to escape those two guys on the right. So, you know, we'll have to see. But I think that the Chiefs have a good chance in this game. I I don't know, man. I, I think... I think the Eagles got it, Grayson. I, I really do. I, I think if maybe if it was the 49ers, the Chiefs would have a better chance, but I feel like the Eagles just kind of match up with the Chiefs a little bit better. Yeah, like I think the I think the Eagles will have success and it's because of the pressure they're gonna get from the pass rush because they, they thrive on speed. When they get to moving quick, they look really good. Because Hertz himself is an escape plan. You let him get creative. He's earned that honor. He's being relied on by a Super Bowl contending team. Let the offense be creative and fluid. Don't stick to a game plan. Because, look, game plans get stopped, but you can't stop creativity. Like, Luke, what, what's the first thing that we remember about the Eagles' 2017 Super Bowl win? The first thing we remember? What Like, what is the glaring moment there? Really special. Exactly. The Philly special. Look, game plans make football. Creativity wins football games. Yeah, I, that, that was unrehearsed, by the way. I, I did not know that the answer was I'm Philly very special. glad you said it because I was going to look real <laughs> stupid if you came up with something else. Hey, I got you. Got your back always, man. <laughs> yeah, look, in it can't just be A.J. Brown. It can't just be Devontae Smith or Godair getting targets. Got to hit Quez Watkins. Hit Zach Pascal. He he needs looks anyway. And also, spread the ball around with the running backs. Utilize them in the passing game. You know there's going to be pressure. Maybe set up two running backs in the backfield a couple of times. Make the defense guess. Run a play action. One to block. One for the check down. Like, there's infinite possibilities, of course. You're on a football field. There's so many things you can do. So don't just stick to one thing. Yeah, I like the idea of two... Um two backs in the backfield for Philly because Kenneth Gainwell, man, in the playoffs and kind of like the last couple weeks of the season, he's really – like he's had games that are better than Miles Sanders and the Eagles are kind of – you know, I think they kind of played off of that in the playoffs as they kind of became like a two-back offense. Yeah, look, there's a lot to look forward to with both of these teams. I think both of their offenses are built for the other one's defense. I think that – Though the pass defense of the Eagles was the best in the regular season, I think that the Chiefs are very good about finding the open man. It, Mahomes has fantastic vision, but he's also just got the talent to allow himself time. And I, I think that both teams look great, but personally, I have the Chiefs. Okay, what's your um, what's your prediction there? 
I think it's going to be 27-24. Okay. I'm going to go 31-24 Eagles. Look, I, I like it. It can go either way, and I will be happy as long as it's a good game because these two teams are just teams you want to watch. Yeah, I'm going to be really upset if they don't let Mama Kelsey do the coin toss. <laughs> yeah, make sure you guys upset. go sign that petition. <laughs> Dude, it's it just it's so fitting because like it's not like these guys are like you know practice squad guys or third string second string guys. These guys are arguably, I would say, argu- not arguably for Travis Kelsey, but arguably for Jason Kelsey, the best at their position. And it's just so cool that they get to play against each other. Yeah, look, I gotta say it. Look, this is we've only seen the beginning of Patrick Mahomes, and. This game is where he's got the opportunity to separate himself from the pack. Because right now, with one Super Bowl, he's with Breeze, Rodgers, Favre, Russell Wilson, Kurt Warner, Johnny Unitas. If he wins, he'll be a two-time Super Bowl winner with a whole lot of time to go. He's going to join Eli, Peyton, Big Ben, Bart Starr, Roger Staubach, and John Elway with two with a win this week. And who knows? There's so much time. Maybe he reaches Aikman or Bradshaw in Montana at four, maybe Brady. But it all starts here. And I think that's, you know, that's where the legacy of Mahomes lies. You know, will the future prevail? Because look, they won it in 2019. If they don't win it this year, it's going to be five years since they won a Super Bowl. Dang, it doesn't even feel like five years ago, man. I know. Wow. That. That was a that is a really weird Super Bowl to me. The 49ers and the Chiefs. I always forget that that one even happened. Yeah, I know. With Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy G, baby. I I still cannot believe Joe Montana said that Jimmy G should be a day one starter next year. We'll talk about that. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> it's not the last we hear of that one. But speaking of, I I don't think that this is most definitely not the the last time we see Jalen Hurts in this position. He is going to be oh, yeah. here multiple other times. I think he proved it throughout this year and even last year that he's here to stay. You know, you can stop calling him a running back. And, um, yeah, I got a feeling that we'll not only see the Eagles, but Jalen Hurts a lot, you know, for the next 20, maybe, you know, a little less years. Yeah, that it's one of those dangerous, you know, kind of like dynasty starting combos, Grace. And you got a young quarterback and a young head coach. And I could definitely see that duo around forever. Uh, or Well, obviously not forever, but for a long time. And he, I just cannot wait to see what they can accomplish. It'll be fun. Yeah, I think he's got, you know, an easier route than Mahomes back to the Super Bowl every year. Because right now Mahomes has got to still get through Burrow and – uh, Allen, Allen, you know, yeah. some years, maybe Herbert, like there's a lot of talent in the AFC and, you know, right now the NFC, at least for the past couple of years has been kind of like the older quarterbacks with, you know, Brady, of course, Rogers, Drew Brees a couple of years ago, like these are kind of the older guys. And now the NFC is kind of clearing up. And it's primarily young guys or, you know, just kind of average quarterbacks starting. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, I don't really have much to add to that. I, I never really kind of thought of it that way. Is there? There is just genuinely more talent on the AFC. It, it's, it's been like that for a while, I think. Yeah, but, like, don't be surprised if NFC teams start popping up. Oh, because sure. 
there's a lot going for them right now. Obviously, we saw it with the 49ers. They've got, you know, tremendous success ahead of them. Just unfortunate injuries. Yeah, the Vikings. The Vikings, the Lions. Those were two teams that were kind of like, I I mean, the Lions weren't as, you know, they were kind of a 500, but still they, they, they look like they can be pretty good next year. Yeah, for sure. All right, Luke, anything else you want to say about the Super Bowl? No, I'm, I'm excited to get to the next part. All right. Well, here it is. We're going to list our top five Super Bowl player performances. Um, Yeah, Luke, without further ado, let's get it started. You got it. All right, so we're going to go five to one, right? Of course. Okay. Uh, number five, I whenever I was looking through this and researching, I – this this actually blew my mind because I, I had no idea that this one even happened. Of course, I remember the Super Bowl, but I don't remember how you know good this player was. But anyway, sorry, Grayson, but it's James White, Super Bowl 51 against the Falcons. This man had six carries, 29 yards, two touchdowns, but that oh, but but that was just on the ground. There's more through the air. 14 receptions, 110 yards, and a touchdown. That motherfucker's a running back. Yeah, it, it was that's, that's a insane. ridiculous performance. I yeah. watched it firsthand. I yeah, I did too. But I, I don't even remember. <laughs> I, I don't remember that his stats looked like that. That's crazy. Yeah, I, I definitely remember. Like, I couldn't even remember who it was when I was thinking about like who was that guy that played really well in that Super Bowl? Because like James <laughs> White, like he was good for a couple of years in New England, and that was it. That's just the story of Patriots running backs, though. Exactly. They're they're all just mediocre positional, you know, kind of players. They just fill roles. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll go ahead and give my number five. Franco Harris in Super Bowl nine. Oh, I like it. 158 rushing yards, one touchdown. All right. And like that's a really good performance, but what makes it better is that his 158 rushing yards was more yards than the Vikings had in total offense in that game. I think that was the first Super Bowl that the Steelers ever won. Uh, it might be. I know it was Super Bowl nine, so there's a good chance. Yeah, that's a good one. I actually know Steelers players made it on my list. I've got two, including Franco. Okay, I, I'm ex- I bet I know who one of them is, actually. Um, my number four, I, will, I remember vividly watching this one firsthand. Von Miller, Super Bowl 50 versus the Panthers. Uh, turned Cam Newton into a total crybaby in the press conference after that game. Two and a half sacks, two forced fumbles, and one of them was recovered for a touchdown. And I think he was the MVP of that Super Bowl. Sure was. Yeah, that was just – I mean, there that has to be probably the best pass-rushing performance in a Super Bowl, right, ever? Oh, yeah. Uh, like, you could say Grady Jarrett had a great one. He had the um, – well, it was like – Three sacks, four tackles for loss. Um, oh, wow. But obviously they lost. Yeah. But yeah, Von Miller was my number four, Super Bowl 50. All right, my number four, the other Steeler, Lynn Swan in Super Bowl oh, yeah. 10. Uh, four receptions, 161 yards, one touchdown. But these four receptions are like the most watched four receptions in a game ever. 32 yards on his first reception. 53 on the second, 12 on the third, and 64 for a touchdown on the fourth. And they go on to win the Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 10, their second consecutive, uh, uh, quite the win. Yeah, Lynn Swan, man. I love that guy. That was such a duo. Him and John Stallworth in the 70s, man. 
and Terry Bradshaw just slinging it to him. I, I love watching highlights from that era. Um, so my number three, I have an honorable mention for this one. So hold off whenever I'm finished with my number three. But my number three, this is a painful one, but I had to put it on my list because I will never forget how untouchable this player was in this game. Aaron Rodgers, Super Bowl 45 against the Steelers, his only Super Bowl that he's won in his career. He passed the ball 39 times, completed 24 of them. 304 yards for three touchdowns, and there is a quote out there of Ryan Clark, who was the free safety. Um, Troy Polamalu was the strong safety of this team. Ryan Clark was the free safety, saying that they were making awesome plays on the ball, but Aaron Rodgers was just putting it where they couldn't get to it in the sense that he was that perfect in the game. And, yeah, he, he killed us. He was untouchable. Yeah, I definitely remember that one. I, I'm, I consider myself a little bit of an Aaron Rodgers fan. Um, yeah. Throughout his career, I've kind of followed. And, yeah, that game was ridiculous. It's like the only thing that keeps his legacy going because you can talk all the shit you want about what he's doing right now. But he's got a Super Bowl. Yeah. Surprisingly, just one. Yeah, I know. He, he he should probably have more, but he just can't beat the 49ers in the playoffs. Exactly. Um, but real quick, my honorable mention, I'm not going to go too deep because you still have yours. No, you're Joe good. Montana in Super Bowl 23, I think it was, against the Bengals. He uh, passed the ball 36 times, completed it 22 times, 357 yards, two touchdowns. He was untouchable that game. I just thought that was a cool stat line. Yeah, that's a good one. And my number three, I gave it to both James White and Tom Brady from oh, Super wow. Bowl 51 because both of them were amazing. Obviously, you already said it, James White, the two rushing touchdowns, 14 receptions, 110 and a touchdown. He ran in the game-winning touchdown in the first-ever Super Bowl to go to overtime. And then Brady, just the numbers are ridiculous. 43 for 62, 466 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. It was just a ridiculous display from the both of them. And, and that Julian Edelman catch is just so bullshit. It just rips the heart <laughs> out of me every time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's a painful one. Um, I like. I vividly remember like yelling at the TV like, no, we didn't catch it. <laughs> I, I still can't believe that that's the only Super Bowl that's gone into overtime. Do you think that's just because, like, teams would be – like, teams are kind of coaching with the point of view that they're too scared to go in an overtime in a Super Bowl? Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. Because, like, look, it's it's always been – it's win or go home. Like, you know, it's the playoffs. It's the Super Bowl. And nobody wants to take more time to get to that result. Yeah. I wonder if we'll see more with the overtime uh, change rules – with, like, you know, the other team is guaranteed one possession. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. It'll be interesting. But anyway, my number two, this one is kind of out there. I, I It probably wouldn't have made my list if it wasn't for, like, the circumstances, but it's a good game nonetheless. T.O. in Super Bowl 39. It's Terrell Owens, if you don't know the nickname T.O. Uh, he played the Patriots. Now, he had nine receptions, 122 yards, and no touchdowns. But here's the thing. I know you know the story, Grayson, but he was like the, all the media was talking about if Terrell Owens was going to play or not because he was super injured. And I think this was the game he actually had to sign a waiver to play in. 
But he got nine receptions, 122 yards, and but no touchdowns. I just wanted to repeat the stats because it was all on a fractured leg and a torn ligament in his ankle. And the Eagles only lost by three. So that was <laughs> my number two. That is crazy. Yeah. That's a good one. yeah. <laughs> all right. My number two, uh, Doug Williams in Super Bowl twenty two. Uh, quarterback for the Redskins at the time. Uh, 18 for 29, 340 yards, four touchdowns. All all those touchdowns came in the second quarter alone. Oh my God. And the Redskins went on to win 42-10. to 10, And Doug Williams became the first black quarterback to start a Super Bowl and the first to win a Super Bowl. That's awesome. Yeah. Dang, all in the second quarter. What a weird quarter to pop off in. Dude, I know. They just cemented the victory in the second quarter and just rode it out. <laughs> I like it. Um, my number one, I think this would be so cool if we got the same one, and I bet we did. Jerry Rice, Super Bowl twenty three. I just brought up Joe Montana from that Super Bowl versus the Bengals. Jerry Rice, 11 receptions. 215 yards and a touchdown. He is also the only wide receiver in NFL history to uh, accumulate over or at least 200 yards in a Super Bowl. The closest is 193. I can't remember who it was or what Super Bowl it was. But, yeah, Jerry Rice, Super Bowl 23, 11 receptions, 215 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, that's mine too. Of course. Like, how could it not be? It was 6-6 to with a minute left in the third before the first touchdown. And then the first touchdown was a 93-yard kickoff return for a touchdown from the Bengals. Gave them a 13-6 lead. And then the 49ers would go on to win the game on a game-winning drive and left 34 seconds on the clock. But yeah, Jerry Rice, so ridiculous. Like yeah, 215 I, yards in a Super when, when, when I was researching like you know, the single-player performances, when I saw this, I like literally my jaw dropped. I had no idea that this even happened. And... Yeah, 215 yards for a receiver in a regular season game is impressive. But in the 1980s, in the Super Bowl, it's just like, I, I can't, that that might not be broken for a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the reason you probably don't know about it is because it happened 34 years 80s. ago. Yeah. And <laughs> we were most definitely not alive. But it's just weird because, like, everybody knows who Jerry Rice is. Even yeah. non-football fans know that name. But, yeah, I, I had never even knew that game existed for him. That's an, an insane stat line. Yeah, it that's, like, a, a mind-boggling thing. I kind of had the same reaction when I saw that. I was like, 215? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. And, like, they only scored 20 points. Yeah. I that Yeah, I don't know. It's strange, and it's even it's crazier to think about. Like Jerry Rice even played into the two thousands with the Seahawks a little bit. Like he was the he was the shit. Yeah, man, Seriously. he had longevity for sure, especially for like a wide receiver, a position where like just about every time you catch the ball, you're gonna get tackled. Yeah, and, and I don't I don't want to get into this. I'm just curious. Like, do you think he's the best wide receiver of all time? Still. Yeah, I I give it to him. Yeah, I think I would too. I think like. Him and Randy have, you know, similar comparisons. But I just think that Jerry Rice, like, the longevity is what gives him the edge. And, you know, and the postseason success as well for me, too. And really important for him. He's definitely the most successful wide receiver ever. Oh, yeah. Like, not even close. But, 
Yeah, Jerry Rice, that game was insane, man. <laughs> All right. Well, that rounds it out for our top five. Well, let's get into some news from the Super Bowl Media Day moments. Darius Slay uh, pulled a question out of a hat, and it read, What state is Kansas City in? He replied, Kansas. And the reporters were quick to, quick to let him know uh, it was, in fact, in Missouri. Come on, Darius Slay. <laughs> he, he's been there before. Yeah. It's just, oh, man. Come on. I don't think he's paying attention to where he's flying. Like, he's just like, oh, we're flying to Kansas City. Yeah, that is true. I'll, I'll give him a pass on that one. If he does it again, there will be problems. <laughs> yeah, well, second and short will be the first podcast to jump on him. <laughs> All right, next thing, uh, Chris Jones was asked about a new contract, and if he wants to be the highest-paid pass rusher in the NFL, he said, do you think I should be the highest-paid pass rusher in the league? To which the reporter replied, I think so, but my opinion doesn't matter. Uh, Jones laughed and said, my opinion doesn't matter either, which is hilarious because, look, I I think he probably should be. Grayson, come on. What? The highest paid pass rusher in the league, it should go to Chris Jones. Yeah. TJ Watt, Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons. There's three. And Nick Bosa. Chris Jones. Oh, yeah. Should still be the highest paid. I think he definitely needs to get his bag, but I don't know about the highest paid. I I don't think he's more talented than those four guys that we just mentioned. All right, well then let's limit it to just the line. So you take out Parsons and TJ Watt. I think he should be the highest paid over Miles Garrett and Nick Bosa. Aaron Donald too? Mm. See, look, like... It's it, I get Aaron it Donald tough, is but... weird because who like I feel like he could just retire at any point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he yeah, I agree. But I feel like Chris Jones, he's been in the league a good amount of years now. He's been great like every year. I think he deserves his bag and it should be pretty big. Whether whether like, you know, it's a like a scenario where like kind of like how DeVonte Freeman became the highest paid running back in the league. Where it's like he gets paid and then other guys just like follow suit and get paid more. But I think that when it comes to this offseason, he should get the biggest. And then somebody can top it if they want. Okay, yeah, I'll agree. I think for me, it's just like the the term pass rusher makes me not want it to go to Chris Jones. But if, if we're just talking about D linemen in general... May, you could make an argument over Miles Garrett and Aaron Donald because, you know, Chris Jones, he definitely has more sacks than both of those guys for sure. So, yeah, I can kind of like suffice. But as far as like highest paid pass rusher, no way. Also, I had no idea that Freeman was the highest paid running back in the league at one point. That's yes, crazy. he was for some stupid reason. Wow. It was, was right after the Super Bowl appearance. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Next thing. Uh, Andy Reid doesn't drink coffee. Uh, he said, I just get up and go. I have endless energy for a chubby guy. <laughs> I love that so much. I Me love too. Andy Reid. I see no lies there. He, Andy Reid's been around for a damn long time, and he's been a top head coach in the league for a long time too. So, yeah, he's definitely the, – the energy is him, not not any coffee or anything else. <laughs> exactly. He can, he can always get going, man. I Andy Reid is not only one of the best coaches of all time, 
but a uh, hilarious guy. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, another little Andy Reid thing. Brandon Marshall asked Andy Reid, who are his top three rappers alive? Reid's answers were Jay-Z, Master P, and Lil Wayne. I just want to get your take on this one, Luke. What do you think? Jay-Z and Lil Wayne, I can definitely I, – I agree, but Master P, no way. Who would you put there instead of him? Top three alive. Hmm. Who would you would would you change any of that list? I I'm down with Jay Z and Lil Wayne for sure. Same. Yeah. But I don't. You know, I I have a feeling Andy Reid's not listening to a lot of like current rap music. Yeah. But I think you could give it to Kendrick. I I was thinking Kendrick too, probably. All right. This isn't a rap podcast. If it was, we'd have a great time. But oh yeah, there's sports to talk about, and by sports I mean Juju Smith Schuster saying that the best cheesesteaks are not in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of sports here. Um, yeah, I, I think um, I think this is coming from his time in Pittsburgh. I'm not gonna lie, because I think a lot of the Steelers players talk about cheesesteaks in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I think it's just like a nationwide thing. Yeah, like the places in Philly, obviously. They get the attention because it's a Philly cheesesteak. But I've definitely, I, I've never, okay, actually, I can't say I've never had a Philly in Philadelphia. I was in the Philadelphia airport uh, flying back from Amsterdam over the summer, and I did get a cheesesteak at the Geno's that's in the <laughs> airport. Yeah. But it, it was great. I think I've had better even just in Atlanta. Ooh, hot take for, for the Philly guys. Yeah. I, all I'm saying is Juju's lucky that the game's not at the link because, um, Damn. <laughs> yeah, dude. They <laughs> can't go after the cheesesteaks, man. Yeah. It's like all they have. And the Rocky statue. Yeah, they have the Rocky statue and cheese ca- or cheesesteaks. <laughs> We've limited Philadelphia to two things for yep. being good. A good city. <laughs> it's the city of brotherly love. Yes. Yes, it is. I think Travis Kelsey even was telling um was telling Chiefs fans to stop messing with the Rocky statue. Yeah. Well he said that. He was like, he was like, I better not see a Chiefs jersey on the Rocky <laughs> statue. He said, and I definitely better not see an '87 on there. <laughs> That's funny, dude. I got a feeling it's not the opposing fans doing that. I think it's like a Philly fan that just buys the jerseys and just tosses them on there. It could be, but I don't know. That's no Philly fan. <laughs> if that's the guy who's doing it, but that's interesting. That's an interesting take. We'll see. All right. Patrick Mahomes mentioned that he's interested in becoming a GM and potentially an NFL owner after his career's over. He reportedly loves evaluating incoming rookies. What do you think? That's, you know, the, the loving uh, evaluating incoming rookies thing is a, that that's something I've heard from a lot of guys that, you know, on different teams and different positions. It's just kind of fun to watch, you know, rookies come in. So I, I definitely, I, I think it's, it's kind of a testament to Patrick Mahomes you know, football mind starting to kind of grow in there. Cause you know, for the past couple of years, we've always known him to be the cool, really good flashy quarterback. And I think he's kind of starting to mature into more of like the kind of brain um, aspect of football. And I think this quote kind of goes along with that. Yeah. I think, I, I feel like I remember him saying something probably after that first Super Bowl, where he was like, I didn't know how to read an, like a defense until I got into the NFL. Wow. Like it's ridiculous how good he's been the entire time. And, yeah, I think 
I think he's, you know, saying that and then he's going to end up being like one of the greatest of all time when he retires and be like, why, why would I ever do this? <laughs> yeah, I just want to sit down with my family. <laughs> <laughs> all right, oh, last man. thing from the media day stuff. Andy Reid said that Patrick Mahomes, who admits he isn't 100%, could do just about anything in the playbook. Uh, Reed referenced a fast practice on Monday and seemed happy with how Mahomes is moving. So it's good news for the Chiefs. If Mahomes is looking good, the Chiefs are going to look good. Yeah, um, and I think if Mahomes was even 70%, 80%, the Chiefs would still look good. He's you know, one of those players, and he has the arm to not move, if that makes sense. So they would have been fine either way, but that's an awesome sign for the Chiefs. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into a little bit more of the news. A little bit of a rumor coming out of San Fran. Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan's relationship was soured late in the season. It's a rumor, but it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. I feel like Jimmy Garoppolo's completely lost his job in San Fran. I'm in the same boat as you, and, you know, we've already seen Shanahan kind of mic drop other players. Uh, the last podcast, we talked about, um, what was who, who was the Jimmy defensive Ward. back? Yeah, that said he didn't want to play nickel, and Shanahan said you want to ride the bench. I mean, Shanahan, he he seems like kind of one of those guys where it's, you know, his way or the highway, but he's, you know, really respectable about it. And it doesn't surprise me, you know, if Brock Purdy's playing good and Garoppolo's hurt and he lost his job, I, I can see Shanahan not really giving a shit about what Garoppolo thinks, to be honest with you. Yeah, you're really acting like Drew Bledsoe right now, Garoppolo. <laughs> yeah. If Tom Brady's your backup, you let him play. Exactly. <laughs> it's just that simple. It, that's exactly what Brock Purdy is, Tom Brady. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> All right. Next thing, a little bit about Justin Fields. I, I don't know where this is coming from. Two different people talking pretty highly on Justin Fields. First yeah. being, you know, probably, you know, in my eyes, the best scrambling quarterback there has been, Michael Vick. He said that he does not see any reason the Bears wouldn't stick with Justin Fields at quarterback. And I agree. I think Justin Fields has looked he looked phenomenal this year, honestly. Yeah, like, I know he yeah. doesn't get it done in the air and like the team wasn't all that good. Obviously, they had the first pick in the draft, but I think that Justin Fields showed a lot of potential this season. Exactly. There is plenty of room for growth um on like kind of the throwing side of his game. But I, I really think, you know, the guys that are calling for Justin Fields' job, just just watch more football. I mean, Justin Fields is one of the most explosive players uh, of the season. Just ask my fantasy team. If you don't think the Bears should stick with Justin Fields, I, I really don't understand your opinion there. I mean, I get it. He's not the best throwing quarterback, but he makes up for it on, you know, with his legs and he can throw good enough, you know, to to have that kind of game plan. So I don't understand it. Yeah, and to follow up Mike Vick talking about him, his for, or, uh, Justin Fields' former coach Matt Nagy recently said that Justin Fields will without a doubt play in a Super Bowl. And, look, I Matt Nagy is a horrible head coach. He absolutely <laughs> sucked in Chicago. And this is his way of being like, okay, if Justin Fields does make it to a Super Bowl, maybe I can get like another year as a head coach because I called it. And he's just going to claim Justin Fields as like his own. Yeah. You know, I, whenever I was reading this the first time, I actually didn't never even thought of it that way. Interesting. I, I just think it's a hot take. <laughs> I mean, the yeah. bears, you know, they definitely do not have a, they, they, there's a blueprint there, but the blueprint to me 
right now as it stands, you know, before the draft, before the offseason, does not scream Super Bowl potential to me. It just screams kind of something better than what they are now, I guess, if uh, if you kind of understand what I'm saying there. But, yeah, super, super hot take. Very warm take from Matt Nagy. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one. Like, like I said, he's just trying to, you know, bait people into thinking he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. But little fun fact here, uh, next season will be the first time that the Texans play in a league that does not have Tom Brady. Yeah, I, that, I, I always forget how young the Texans are. Yeah, it, it's crazy, like, how new of a franchise they're. Because, like, what, they, they start in, like, 01, I want to say? I'll look it up. Something like that, and you know it. It's you know a testament to Tom Brady's longevity, the fact that he's played since you know before I was alive, before you were alive as well, Luke. Uh, it is wild, you know the the legend of Tom Brady. Yeah, two thousand and two. Two thousand two. So a year before I was born. Yeah, that's insane. And then um, a little bit more about Brady Belichick. Had uh, some glowing words to talk about with Tom Brady. Um, I think that we need to start putting to bed the the like Brady Belichick dispute because I, I think that they just both worked well together. Uh, you can't say like, oh well, the Patriots are bad now, so it was obviously Brady doing everything. And, and you can't say like, oh, Tom Brady played bad last year. Maybe if he had Belichick, he'd do well. Like, that's not the argument here. It's the fact that both of them together won a lot. It's hard to recreate that with anybody else. Yeah, and to put it simply, is the dispute is taking away from just like now that we can now that Brady's retired, we can finally admire the bullshit that we had to go through as fans of other teams, and you know the dispute kind of takes away from that. So. It really is, you know, time to start because, like, I, I genuinely feel like this beef just isn't really real anymore, and it's not that deep, you know. And they're they're chilling now; they're fine. Yeah. And yeah. Now they can respect each other, so it's nice. Yeah, it, it's ridiculous. But let's talk a little bit about Derek Carr. Um, oh yeah. Quite a lot has happened over these last like seventy-two hours. So there was some talks emerging with teams for Derek Carr. Uh, a lot of teams wanted to rework the deal that he has, but most likely Derek Carr won't do it. Uh, the Raiders are asking for a pretty modest price. Uh, one NFL source said a third-round pick could get it done. And the Saints were believed to be the only team that engaged uh, to an ex- uh, to extend a visit as of now. Uh, that was, I believe, on Monday, um, maybe on Tuesday. And then the Raiders have agreed on compensation of a trade for Derek Carr. And um, that was kind of the requirement for any team to get permission to speak with Derek Carr was for them to agree with the Raiders on what they'd be getting out of it. And um, there will have to be a lot of restructuring for the Saints because they're way over the cap. Uh, but, you know, that's that's GM shit. We don't, we don't have to worry about that. But... Um, <laughs> And now it's looking like it's all but done at this point. Yeah, I think the Saints is a pretty good foot uh, fit for Derek Carr. Um, Derek Carr once again is being given 
Chris Olave and Michael Thomas, you know, throughout Derek Carr's career, he has always had talent, you know, with Amari Cooper, Darren Waller, and last season he had Devontae Adams. But, you know, for Derek Carr, it's it's time to make some shit happen. He's been mediocre, it seems like, my whole life. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I, I, he's going to have a good running back, too, with the Saints. You know, he had Alvin Kamara, uh, or he had Josh Jacobs uh, with the Raiders. Now he has Alvin Kamara. It, it's time to make sh- shit happen for Derek Carr. Yeah. I, I look, there's a lot of upside to Derek Carr. He plays good football. And I, I just think he needs to be in the right situation. Obviously, you know, Oakland slash Las Vegas uh, was not the best place for him. He needs a team that's maybe already built a little bit better to win. And I, I not that the Saints are really in a great position, but I, I think they're in a better position than the Raiders. Me too. All right. Well, let's get to this next stuff. Tony Pollard, uh, it's looking like he's going to receive the franchise tag from the Cowboys. I think it's a great move. Keeping Tony Pollard on this team is huge. I've already given my criticisms about what they need to change. <coughs> Dak. <clears throat> mm. Sorry to clear my throat. But funny Tony- sounding cop there. Yeah, it's crazy. It's kind of sounded like I said Dak Prescott or something. <laughs> but look, Tony Pollard was amazing this year and keeping him there is great my only problem is like you can franchise tag him but you've got a lot of money tied up in Zeke so you got to figure it out at some point they both can't be top running backs on the same team and and it's an obvious answer for me I've been saying it for what feels like two or three years now Zeke he needed to get traded two or three years ago whenever he had a little bit more you know value to his name now, he really, Grayson, is just kind of a um, a short-yarded situation running back, and Tony Pollard does everything else. Zeke has only gone downhill since his rookie year, and like you said, he's getting paid stupid money to, not, to be a below-average running back, in my opinion, and Tony Pollard should be the guy in Dallas. But I like how their offense works with two running backs. I would trade Zeke and pick up another running back in a draft or something. Yeah, I like that idea. I I think you're kind of selling Zeke short. He had a better year this year than in past years, but I agree. I think that, you know, he hasn't been as good as what he should be, especially when it comes to the value of his contract. And maybe they do just maybe that's the change of scenery they need. Maybe that will help them out. But, you know, for the time being, keeping Tony Pollard is a fantastic move. Yeah. I I love Tony P. All right, and then um, this, I I meant to say this after we talked about the Belichick-Brady thing, but Tom Brady himself said that the Belichick versus Brady debate is a stupid conversation. And, you know, we already kind of voiced our opinions that we agree. And, look, I think it's big to see Tom Brady himself talking about it because, obviously, he's part of it, but, you know, he's the voice that people want to hear right now. And for him to go out and say that is really big. Yeah, I I literally don't have much to add. We've already kind of talked about it. It is such a stupid conversation, and the fact that Brady said it should be enough. (laughs) So stop talking about it (laughs) kind of thing. So, yeah. All right, a little bit more Brady here. So Robert Kraft spoke with Tom Brady, and a celebration of his career in New England will take place, uh, potentially in the form of a one-day contract with the Pats. So we'll have to see. I, I think that New England deserves this. Um, you know, they didn't get all that much, uh, when he uh, retired initially and this, you know, the second retirement, hopefully the official one. 
And I, I think that this is a, a great move by Brady and the Pats to allow him to, you know, have a celebration because the the fans themselves just deserve this. Yeah, they, they need some closure because, um, and, and I don't know if this was really the case, but at least how it felt like for me, you know, going through um, Tom Brady leaving the Patriots is it was kind of, at least between him and the fans, it was a kind of bad blood situation. Of course, you saw a lot of the um, the dual jerseys, you know, with one side Patriots, other side Buccaneers, and it was a Tom Brady jersey. But, like, I, I definitely felt like it was kind of bad blood in terms of how he left. And this will be perfect to just kind of, like, tie in those loose ends so he can, you know, ride off into the sunset. Yeah. And one more thing about Brady. Uh, we mentioned it briefly at the beginning, but he's postponing his TV career until 2024. And... Look, I, I swear to God, if he tries to make a comeback while he's sitting on the couch watching, I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah, just just go tell Giselle you're sorry and go back to your family, dude. Uh, if he tries to make a comeback, it won't go well for him at all. No. At all. And it, I, I will admit, though, it would be kind of interesting to see him with the Raiders, but just 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 go to just go home, Tom Brady. Yeah, <laughs> it's time. But, you know, him postponing his TV career is good news for Greg Olson. Uh, Greg Olson said that he's glad that the Super Bowl will not be his last game on Fox's number one team. And I, we've talked about it these last couple of weeks while we talked about Brady and uh, we've really liked Greg Olson in the booth. Uh, I think he does a fantastic job. It kind of sucks that he's going to be, you know, inevitably replaced. But, you know, maybe he goes somewhere else, takes that top job. You know, we'll have to see. Yeah, and I kind of feel like with Brady postponing his uh, TV career, it, it kind of it gives us the best of both worlds. Because, you know, we liked Greg Olson a lot, so we get a little bit more of Greg Olson. But we're also excited to see what Tom Brady can add to the broadcast booth. I think this is perfect. All right. Now we've got a little bit more uh, baiting. For Aaron Rodgers, <laughs> Garrett yep. Wilson said, when you get someone like Aaron Rodgers, you immediately become a contender. Knowing what we had last year and what we put on film, we know we're close. If we get someone like him, I immediately expect to be there. And look, these are some glowing words from Garrett Wilson. Once again, just a, you know, a little bit of recruiting. It, it seems like everybody but the Packers are coming out saying they want Rodgers. Yeah, um, kind of strange. Uh, I know on uh, my hot take saying that Aaron Rodgers wouldn't go to the Jets from last week, um, there was a comment on our TikTok that mentioned um, that they thought Aaron Rodgers would be total buns on the Jets. And I don't know. I could totally see it happening. You know, we saw it happen to Matt Ryan. Of course, Aaron Rodgers is on a little bit of a different level. But Aaron Rodgers is finally going back to a talented offense um, personnel-wise. And he would have Nathaniel Hackett. I don't think you can necessarily say that this would be a bad move for Aaron Rodgers, you know, right off the bat at least. But, you know, I think Garrett Wilson is right. You do immediately become a contender. We saw the comeback from the Packers last season, and I've talked a lot. So go ahead, Grace. <laughs> no, I, I 100% agree that it would be a great move for him to go to the Jets. Uh, people have brought up the cap situation where, you know, they don't quite have the cap space for it, but – you got to move some pieces inevitably when you bring on a top player and bringing in Aaron Rodgers would only help them. Yeah. Uh, their quarterback um, play and you and I can both attest to this was really the one thing that held them back this season. Their, 
you know, a super young team and for a quarterback to be the only thing that's wrong, there's plenty of options in the draft. And now you have Aaron Rodgers in the free agency. The Jets, no matter what happens with this whole situation in the draft, the Jets will be taken care of going into next season. But Aaron Rodgers could help him out. We'll see. But as of right now, some moves that maybe are going to happen. Uh, Cordero Patterson is looking to uh, – he's trying to recruit some players to come to the A. <laughs> he's, he, uh, he's, he put out a tweet looking uh, looking for Keenan Allen to come to Atlanta. Uh, Keenan Allen, it's looking like he might be cut by the Chargers um, just in an attempt to create some cap space because right now they're in cap hell in uh, Los Angeles. I found that out the hard way, uh, <laughs> a, a group franchise league that I'm in. Uh, I took the Chargers, and uh, I had no money to spend. <laughs> it really screwed me over. But, but you got that pretty stadium to play in, man. <laughs> yeah, that I share with the Rams. <laughs> oh, man. But, look, it's it's a tough situation for the Chargers to be in, but Keenan Allen's getting up there in age, and I would absolutely love Keenan Allen in Atlanta. He would do wonders for Drake London, but I think wide receiver is one of the spots that the um, Falcons really don't need to look at this offseason. They will be fine with or without Keenan Allen, depending on what they do, you know, with the rest of um, their team, obviously. But I, I don't know. I, I think this would be kind of a waste of um, a waste of some cap to go to one player with him being a wide receiver. I don't know because, you know, now, like, if he gets cut, his old contract's out the window – and he really hasn't played up to the standard of the money he was getting. Maybe, you know, he goes down in value and you could bring him on for a little bit less and you still have space to make moves because it looks like Cordero wants another move. He wants Deron Payne as well. Wow. Uh, he wants him to come to Atlanta, team up with Grady Jarrett on the defensive line, maybe take some pressure off Grady. God knows he needs it. <laughs> this is kind of funny Cordero Patterson out of all players being the the scout <laughs> for the Falcons it's kind of funny but yeah I, I think it's awesome when players try to recruit other players I think that's kind of a it, it's it's new because it's you know it's because of social media and kind of like today's sports world you would never see this shit back in the day of you know other players you know tweeting out like oh I want this guy to come to Atlanta you know it's just so interesting to me yeah super fun stuff now, uh, Colts owner Jim Irsay put out a tweet. He's very active on Twitter for some weird reason. He said, we as an organization, the coaching search would be an open-minded and thorough process. And the final decision would be strictly based on what is best for our franchise's success and best for our, our fans of Colts Nation. Final decision coming in days, not hours. So... It looks like we could see the Colts filling the head coaching position within the next couple of days. But also, Jim Ursay tweets like an absolute weirdo. <laughs> yeah, it, it is kind of strange, isn't it? Like he's using uh, like ellipses where he could just use a period and like he's putting football emojis everywhere. It's so weird. <laughs> 
I mean, it, it, we know you got enough damn mon money in your wallet alone right now to hire somebody to do that shit for you. I don't understand it. What's worse is there probably is somebody tweeting this for Jim Ursay, <laughs> and he true. was like, he like the, his social media team saw this and they were like, oh yeah, that's the one. <laughs> they all need they're a complete wash. Hire a whole new team. <laughs> Yeah, that, oh, that just, it just threw me off when I saw that tweet. I was like, "What? What kind of like AI bot wrote this tweet?" <laughs> and, you know, kind of going back to like the um the actual information in the tweet, though, it seems like a complete contrast to how they picked Jeff Saturday to be their head coach. Yeah, I don't know, man. He's just I I don't know what's going on in Indianapolis. They can't make up their mind on anything. Yeah, that's a hot burning pile of shit over there At, yeah. but do you think jeff saturday should get the job no there's I, like there's like five guys out there that i'd probably take over him yeah they they should have gotten brian flores they should have they should have beat the damn yep. vikings to the punch there but yeah they're 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 still evaluating jeff saturday so <laughs> yeah we'll have to see all right last bit of nfl news uh this one came out uh, i believe earlier today yeah uh, just a couple of hours ago, uh, Brett Favre is suing Shannon Sharp and Pat McAfee for defamation, uh, along with uh, Mississippi auditor Shad White. Um, it, it's obviously due to Brett Favre's involvement in the $77 million welfare mm -hmm. fraud scheme in the state of Mississippi. Uh, a spokesperson for Favre. Uh, said Shannon Sharp and Pat McAfee tried to further their careers by making baseless defamatory allegations against Brett Favre. Sharp accused, uh, this is, you know, outside of the quote, Sharp accused Favre of knowingly taking $1.1 million from Mississippi welfare funds for speeches he never made. And Sharp also called Favre a sleazeball, in quotes. Uh, McAfee oh. was pretty blunt with his thoughts about Favre, and um, he accused... Favre of stealing from the poor people of Mississippi. Wow. Look, Brett Favre is just like digging himself a further hole by doing this. Because now yeah. it's like, okay, you clearly did this shit. But now you look like an asshole because you're trying to be like, well, it's hurting my name. No shit. You just stole so much money from the Mississippi welfare system. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. it. This news, whenever it first came out, you know, months ago, it, it hurt my heart because, you know, Brett Favre is like the son of the NFL, at, at least before all this happened. He was, he was kind of like that precious athlete, you know, that all of us could like cling to, you know, just off of his skills, off of um, the way he carried himself, you know, during his career was good. And then this comes out, just kind of, I don't know, it tarnishes everything through my eyes, at least. Yeah. Uh, fuck Brett Favre. <laughs> fuck Brett Favre. The man, not the player. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into some MLB news. Uh, you know, as we near the season, a lot of people have a lot of stuff to say. We'll start it out. Uh, Jim Bowden of The Athletic put out a division realignment with two expansion teams being added it's interesting for sure. So it starts out, uh, there'd be a Western and Eastern conference in the Western conference. There's the Midwest, uh, Cubs, White Sox, Brewers, twins, 
the Southwest with the Astros, Royals, Cardinals, and Rangers. And before we get to the next one, do you, I, I don't consider Kansas City or St. Louis in the Southwest. I don't either. I but, think that's absurd. Yeah, the Midwest is loaded with baseball teams, though, so I, I understand, but they're not. <laughs> yeah, that, that that one's an interesting take. And then the Pacific Coast, the Rockies, Athletics, Mariners, and Giants. And then the West with the Diamondbacks, Angels, Dodgers, and Padres. I okay, I like it for the most part, but like I'm a very like I already like how it's aligned. I don't think we need expansion teams. Like <laughs> to me, the MLB is set up perfectly. I, I would love to not touch it. I, yeah, I agree the way that it's set up um, is nice, but I don't know. The Jim Bowden's list here, though, it, it makes you think, though. Like, I like the idea, especially on the other side, on the eastern side, you have a division, the Red Sox, the Mets, the Yankees, and the Phillies. That that seems like it could be an entertaining division. And for you, Grayson, in the southeast, you have the Braves, um, the Marlins, uh, and then a Nashville expansion team, which I think it'd be cool to go, you know, watch an MLB game in Nashville. And then Tampa, I think I like the divisions, but you're right. It, baseball is already kind of, it, it's good the way it is. Yeah, I think the rivalries are formed and a realignment changes everything. Because like, yeah, right now, as a Braves fan, we play in one of the toughest divisions. In my opinion, the toughest division in the NL for sure with the Braves Phillies, Mets, Marlins, and Nationals. I think that's a super tough division. And and then like you have the North Division, which is the Reds, Guardians, Tigers, and Blue Jays. The Blue Jays and Guardians are really the only ones right now that are contenders even in the slightest bit. And then the Mid-Atlantic absolutely sucks. You got the <laughs> Orioles, the Pirates, the Nationals, and then a Charlotte expansion team. Like I feel like it's not uh, an even an even alignment. That is true. Um, Orioles will be exciting, though. Yeah, the coming for years. sure. But, yeah, just as it looks now, it's not exciting at all. Especially, I mean, the Pirates and the Nationals in the same division, what's that going to be, like, 1-0, to 0-0? Zero? Zero to zero? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah. All right. So people have been losing their minds over this stuff. The new rule changes in the MLB. Uh, they were agreed on in the CBA uh, before the last season, but I, I'm angry about a, a lot of it, primarily the pitch timer. I think pitch clocks suck. I, I know I sound like everybody's middle-aged uncle talking about, <laughs> well, baseball's not too long. You guys just have no attention span, whatever. Well, it's true. Baseball's not too long, and you guys have too short of an attention span. So the pitch timer is now 15 seconds from when the pitcher, I believe it's when the catcher throws the ball to the pitcher, the pitcher has 15 seconds to uh, initiate his motion uh, when the bases are empty. He has 20 seconds to do the same when runners are on. I, I just, I don't know. I What does that change? the speed of the game, man. Come on, you boomer. So you're going to shave <laughs> two minutes off of a baseball game? Uh, oh, I completely agree with you. I But I'm more on the side of, like, pitchers' arms. I, I don't know why. And I guess this would be kind of a question to ask you. 
Will you start seeing more, you know, bullpen action now that pitchers are having to make quicker throws? I mean, it, it makes sense, right? It does in a sense, but it's like, it, how much, how much is that really going to change? Like, how much is ten seconds going to change? Like how your arm feels. But yeah, I, I get that because I think the the worst part is pacing because a lot of MLB pitchers. Some of them, their best assets are pacing and how they pace the game. You know, Mark Burley played the the fastest MLB game of all time. He pitched ridiculously quick, quick turnaround, quick everything. And then there's guys like like Nestor Cortez on the Yankees. You know, uh, the pitch timer doesn't really apply to him because a lot of his timing stuff has to do with what he does after he initiates his motion. Same with like Johnny Cueto. But I just think that when it comes to the pitch timer, you're limiting pitchers from manipulating timing and manipulating the pace of the game that they're playing. Yeah. um, Yeah, I don't have much to add. That's a good point. All right. And then there's the shift limits, which pretty much it appears there's just a straight line down the middle of the field. If you're a shortstop or a third baseman, you can't cross over into the other side of second base. If you're a second baseman or first baseman, you can't cross over the line at third base. So this does affect things. I know at least like the Braves, a lot of times last year, you get into a no runners on two strike count or sorry, uh, no strike count. And Austin Riley will, would line up pretty much in like right field, but short right field. Just so, you know, if a guy's a a pole hitting lefty, he's going to ground into somebody. And look, I think the shift makes it interesting, but I don't think that the shift limits are as bad as people are writing them out to be. Maybe not. uh, But I, I'm definitely kind of annoyed with it. Uh, Maybe it's kind of a a dumb thing to say, but hit the other way. And I think it's just kind of a a grasp by the MLB just to get more offense. Yeah, it is. I think the MLB doesn't appreciate defense as much because, you know, we talk about, like, the cool defensive plays in other sports, like steals and blocks in basketball, picks and, you know, sacks, big hits in in, uh, football. But, yeah, in baseball – Like, yeah, you can make a diving catch or like a diving play, something cool like that. But, you know, people don't really watch baseball for the defense. They watch it for the hits and the home runs and all that sorts of stuff. So I get where the MLB is coming from, but I do agree with you 100%. Learn how to hit against the shift and they won't shift on you. Yeah. Um, If you're a good enough hitter, why can't you, instead of pulling, you know, hit oppo? Yeah. I mean, exactly. But, you know, and and to go off a bit, the, we have the pitch timer and the shift limits that we've gone over so far. I, I, The only thing that is screaming out to me is since there will be more offense and since pitchers are now being rushed, I, the bullpen is going to be such a – I think it will be a huge deal next season. I, I, just with, you know, runners getting on base, longer innings, you know, less time to pitch, I just think that doesn't bode well for your starters. Yeah, it, it seems like the MLB – is trying to, in a way, it makes the game longer because you have to wait on pitching changes. And 
look, the game of, you know, the game of old times was guys going complete games all the time. You know, one of the most unbreakable records is Cy Young's complete game record. I want to say it's it's somewhere ridiculous. It's, you know, multiple seasons worth of every single game pitching and throwing a complete game. It's a ridiculous yeah. number. And it seems like we don't have a lot of complete game guys. You know, the last one in my mind is Greg Maddox. But, yeah, I just, I don't know. It doesn't bode well for him because the complete game kind of guys made the game go faster. And now you're trying to limit the time while allowing more people to get on base, which inherently makes the game longer. Yeah, we're go- we're going backwards, MLB. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. Rob Manfred's an idiot. But just to further that point, that Rob Manfred's an idiot. They made the bases bigger. Okay, this one I can kind of agree with. Wait, and... you you agree with making the bases bigger? I, I don't agree with pitch timer shift limits. Um, I do agree with uh, bigger bases, though. And my only argument is injury. I, I've, I've seen so many guys. Who was the Braves pitcher that got his ankle it was Max demolished? Freed, and he pitched quite a fucking game. Well, uh, Tim Hudson also had the same injury, did he not? I believe he, so. He covered first base and, you know, dude stepped on him. They're kind of small, at least from a non-baseball standpoint. The bases kind of look small if you're running full speed. So, I... This one I agree with, but take away shift limits and pitch timer. Look, okay, it's a guy that uh, I played first base, you know, not anything at like a high level or whatever, but I, you know, it was kind of muscle memory on if if somebody picked off, I know exactly where my glove needs to go. And I knew exactly like how much space I could cover the base with with my cleat so that I you know, this is kind of dirty, but so that I can block the runner from touching the base. So yeah. that's stuff that like I knew. And what they did is they make the base. I, I believe it's three inches uh, bigger. So it was 15 inches. Now it's 18 inches. And I think it throws things off for the defender because when you go to lay down the tag, if you put it, somewhere there's still three inches left from where you would normally be at the edge of the base you know i actually didn't even think about that the fact that i i was honestly only thinking about how it affected you know like throw a ground outside uh at first base i did not think about you know runners sliding in from second into third and them having more space to kind of work around like the third baseman i didn't even didn't even cross my mind wow yeah and then on top of it it reduces the distance that people have to travel between bases. Now, going from third to home or home to first, three inches less, which doesn't seem like a lot, but baseball is a game of inches when it comes to running the bases. And then from first to second and second to third, you reduce the distance by four and a half inches. And it just seems like, like you said, they're making ways for people to get on base more. I could. I, I didn't even think about it for stealing bases too. Changes a lot. The catcher is going to have to. Catchers are going to have to have a little bit more pop there. Yeah, but also, you know, second base is uh, an inch and a half closer if you're throwing down to second. So, like, there's so many variables here, and it's just like, I don't think it's going to change the game. Like, it's not going to be like, oh my god, we have to get rid of these bases. 
But yeah. I, I just it, it's like one of those intricacies of baseball where like changing something so uniform is crazy. Yeah, no, it it really is. That'll definitely make a difference, I think. All right, well, enough of me ranting about the rules that the MLB makes. Let's get to something kind of funny. So Brian Snicker, uh, he was at some sort of like town hall or press conference or something, and uh, uh, somebody in the crowd asked, would the Braves consider signing a pitcher like Trevor Bauer? And like before the guy even stopped saying his last name, Snicker was just like, no. (laughs) What do you think about that as a Braves fan? Okay, look, I... Actually, I came on this podcast and I told Brock that I would be okay if the Braves signed Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Because he is a great baseball player. Obviously, the things he did off the field, whether they happened or not, are horrible. And I think that him getting blackballed is unfair. 100% unfair because of his ability on the field. But it is understandable. I get why people don't want to bring that in. At the same time, Brian Snickers, the same guy that said when Marcelo Zuna, for like the third time in a calendar year, got in legal trouble, he's on the roster. We're going to use him. Like, yeah. where where is your line here? Because Marcelo Zuna, not only, you know, domestic assault, domestic violence, also got a DUI in the middle of the season last year, received zero, no ban from the MLB, no no suspension from the team. He might have gotten fined. Like, where's the line? Bro, I remember the video of the um, the body cam that the cop wore when he pulled over yeah, Marcelo Zuna. I'm Osuna from the Braves. <laughs> fucking love that shit. Oh, dude, but I... I would love it if the Yankees brought Trevor Bauer to to New York. Of course, you know, like Grayson said, the allegations are there. Um, They're horrible, whether he did them or not. But (laughs) damn good baseball player. (laughs) Yeah, and and he like his per like as a personality, he is an intriguing player. Look, uh, there's a lot of things obviously to say that are bad about Trevor Bauer, but there's also a lot of redeeming qualities. Look, he's is as a I would self-proclaim myself as a baseball nerd. He is a baseball nerd. Like when it comes to like the things he does for his body and like the things he tracks, like it, it's ridiculous the extents he goes to and and I am fascinated by it. Yeah, um his YouTube channel is, you know, phenomenal and you kind of get you know, like vlogging of a, not just an athlete who's like decent at their sport or, you know, their position, kind of like a Juju Smith-Schuster who's not one of the best wide receivers, but he's a huge personality. Trevor Bauer is a Cy Young winner, former Cy Young winner, and he's vlogging what he does. And traveling with the team, he puts a lot of detail into his craft. And, you know, like even boils down to like studying his own sleep with like, you know, machines and through different companies. It's really interesting. Yeah, I, I think it is super, super interesting. But, you know, I, I'm I'm once again, just to kind of finish the point, I'm completely fine with teams not signing Trevor Bauer for what happens off the field. I 100% understand why. 
but I, I think we just need to respect his ability as a baseball player. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, fun fact here. A little bit of a list of the fewest stolen bases allowed in the MLB since 2005. All right, number five, uh, it's a tie between the Orioles and Astros. They have uh, only given up 1,436 stolen bases. The Twins at four have only given up 1,407 stolen bases. Royals at three, only given up 1,351. And the Diamondbacks with 1,310 stolen bases allowed at number two. And then a huge, huge, huge gap between two and one. The Cardinals have only allowed 886 stolen bases since 2005. Yeah, if that doesn't tell you, that that's everything you need to know about Yachty. What a player. Yeah, a, a truly a legend uh, of, you know, baseball and just the catching position itself. Because, you know, in a time where we just talked about it, we, you know, the MLB values offense. And Yachty was never like a great offensive player. But what he did behind the plate was phenomenal uh, amongst the best of all time. Yeah, and I mean, when just looking at this list, you know, you have two, three, four, and then the two teams at five are all, you know, relatively close to each other and as far as their numbers with uh, stolen bases allowed. And the Cardinals are like 400, almost 500 away. Insane stat. I love that stat. All right, next thing. If the Athletics relocate to Las Vegas... The North Strip and downtown resort operators would support the team building a $1 billion park in the area. I cannot stress it enough that the athletics need to go to Vegas. Yeah, I I agree. Because you and I have already kind of been able to experience, um, oh my God, it's blanking on me, Truist Park. And, you know, you have the battery around Truist Park. You have apartments, restaurants, stores, and, you know, et cetera. I think the Braves kind of paved the way for what stadiums should be like in the future. You know, you have your stadium and then you kind of have like a little town around it. And I think if the athletic cho- <clears throat> excuse me, chose to relocate to Las Vegas, they could have probably one of the best stadiums uh, in the league. Yeah. Uh, I can't let you take all the credit for the Braves though, because Cubs fans would lose their mind. Uh-oh. Uh, Wrigleyville ha- has been around for a while. It's uh, similar to the battery, not as connected uh, completely to the stadium as the battery. Like you can't like, you know, there's only there's what four entrances to the Braves stadium. Two of them are in the battery and but, you know, Wrigleyville is amazing. And, and, you know, Wrigleyville kind of set up what the Braves did with Truist Park. I think Truist Park did it better, in my opinion. Uh, I haven't spent time in Wrigleyville. I haven't spent time in really Chicago at all but um you know from what I've seen I think that Truist Park and the Battery are it's one of the best places to go when it comes to baseball yeah for any of y'all you know non-Georgia listeners definitely you have to see a baseball game at Truist Park even if you're not a baseball fan it's just so much fun yeah or just spend some time at the Battery there's plenty of stuff to do oh for sure all right next thing uh, Evan Drellich, a uh, writer for The Athletic, he uh, tweeted an excerpt from the Boston Herald article about Alex Cora, and it has some interesting things 
uh, to do with the Astros cheating scandal, which Alex Cora was an assistant coach as a part of it. Um, Alex Cora said, or sorry, um, the excerpt says, we knew the Astros did, and stealing signs is what they're talking about, um, from another member of the Red Sox, said, Alex Cora told us. Uh, he said that when they played the Dodgers, quote, we already knew what everybody was throwing before we even got on base. We didn't have to get on base. And everybody in the room was just like, what the hell does that mean? Oh, man. Cora is such a dumbass. <laughs> yeah. And another quote there, um, Cora would say, we stole that fucking World Series. <laughs> He's proud of it, man. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> Owning up to it and everything, Grayson. <laughs> That's hey, it, so look, funny. if you're going to cheat and you're going to get caught, you might as well just be honest with it. <laughs> Go beat on some trash cans. God. Oh, man. What That's a, just so idiot. crazy to me. Yeah, me too. That's insane. All right. We'll end out the MLB news with just a little fun story. It's not really news. This happened a while ago, but uh, back in 2017, during spring training, uh, Ichiro was in the coach's room looking at his cell phone, and uh, Ichiro told the coaches about uh, a message he had just received from a number he didn't recognize. Uh, The guy said he'd gotten Ichiro's phone number from Alex Rodriguez, his former teammate, and he wanted to come meet him and study his stretching routine. And one of the coaches asked, what's the guy's name? Ichiro uh, scrolled to the end of the text, said, some guy named Tom Brady. Who the fuck is Tom Brady? (laughs) Oh, man, he's a national treasure. Protect Ichiro. Uh, I love Ichiro Suzuki so much. Yeah, he he was one of those players that, you know, obviously he wasn't effective on the Yankees much, but I want to say he did get his 4,000 hit with the Yankees. And I... He was just such a precious athlete to have come to the Yankees because I always liked him, you know, pre-Yankee, you know, when he was with the Mariners and everything. His time in New York was so cool to me because, you know, I'm a Yankees fan and I love Ichiro so much. Yeah, truly one of the greatest, especially when it comes to just being a pure hitter. Yeah, he's already halfway to first base, like mid-swing. Yeah. (laughs) It is a super unique style. Has there really been anybody that swings like that? Besides him? It's a, a very, like, Japanese baseball thing, uh, especially for, like, lefties. So, like, Shohei kind of does it. Uh, he's not, you know, as fast as Ichiro. But uh, Shohei's really good about, like, once he swings, he's already moving. And it's a it's a big attribute. Like, it's really a big, uh, like, old, old-time baseball kind of thing to kind of run. Not really run into your swing because you can't really do that. But as you're swinging move your momentum towards the bases. Um, It's like something that like the best lefties back in the day did. Um, You actually, you would send me a video of Babe Ruth uh, hitting. And I brought up the fact that like, it's kind of crazy how he could power hit the way he did. And like the fact that he just kind of like loses his balance when he did it. But obviously like Ichiro has kind of like perfected it where it's like, as he swings, his swing kind of turns into the momentum that pushes him towards first base. Yeah, it's it just like as a non-baseball um, player, it, it just seems like just such a hard swing to do. Um, it, it doesn't, you know, it obviously doesn't look natural to me, but like having to be a lefty and to kind of already be like 
turning your waist and opening it up like almost 360 degrees, um, you know, not quite, but almost to start running towards first base. It just seems like such a strange body movement. Yeah, it is. And, and you know, as a right-handed hitter, I cannot relate to that whatsoever because uh, I definitely didn't do that. It probably would have helped. I'm not the fastest, but no worries. <laughs> All right. That'll do it for the MLB news. Let's talk soccer. There's a whole lot going on, and it all starts with Man City. Uh, Luke, why don't you go ahead and just kind of introduce what happened here uh, with Manchester City. So, basically, I, I haven't really researched much of it, but, you know, I'm, I'm going about my day on campus, and I, I see a a post from um, BR Football, or Bleach Report. Yeah, Bleach Report Football. And – it, it, the, the headline says Manchester City are pretty much in trouble and are being threatened by, you know, the league and a whole bunch of other entities uh, for misuse funds through the years 2009 all the way to 2018. And, you know, we've heard – help me out here, Grayson. We've heard, you know, point deductions. We've heard people suing them. We've heard title stripping. And can you think of anything else that, you know, we've heard? Yeah, the the main thing is uh, bans, suspensions, things like that. Um, yeah, you know, across the entire European soccer landscape, when it comes to you know Champions League participation, uh, you know any of those factors. Um, yeah, uh, officially they've been charged with over a hundred alleged breaches of financial regulations. Uh, a four-year investigation has concluded that they. Uh, it concluded with the Premier League announcing that the club had breached regulations over a period of nine seasons. And um, the Premier League confirms that it has today referenced a number of alleged breaches uh, by Man City um, to a... It's... I don't know. It's so hard to explain because like, there's not like full proof out yet. Um, but it appears to be just a lot of financial... Uh, breaches of the rule books of the Premier League and of like UEFA's rules. Um, it's really just like they're accusing Manchester City of breaking all of the rules and money, which like we weren't surprised by. I think we've seen <laughs> no. a lot of other clubs with a lot of money end up, you know, making you know a bad decision. It happened, I believe, Barcelona broke that rule. Um, when I want to say it was the Luis Suarez signing and it ended up making somebody, uh, who was it? Was it like Arda Turan had to like wait on his yeah. transfer because like they were banned from the transfer market. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. And uh, you know, like a couple other things happened, but, um, I, I believe maybe PSG's run into the same problem before. Yeah. Maybe I can't really remember, but I, I hope interesting get fucked. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, it'd be hilarious. <laughs> I, I saw this dude on TikTok, and he was talking about kind of like the worst case scenario for Man City. You know, based on like the precedence of what has happened with financial breaches, and there's obviously the possibility that the FA and just the EFL in, in a whole um, uh, ban them or suspend them, or just, like, move them out of the EFL, which would put them in the English 5th Division, which is considered the National League, and um, they'd have to build their way back up. That would be interesting, but 
uh, I think the more interesting part is due to the precedent that was set uh, when West Ham broke some financial rules in the signing of Carlos Tevez and ended up, um, he had quite quite a streak going at the end of the season. They ended up winning like seven out of nine of their last couple games to get out of the relegation zone. And then I don't quite remember the exact team that sued them, but they sued them for like $14 million in damages afterwards because of like the monetary loss they got from being relegated and they won the case and West Ham had to pay them up like pay up and this is something we could see Man City you know over this super long stretch nine years like they've won titles they've been to the Champions League multiple times they've knocked people out of Europa League spots they've most likely caused teams to get relegated and it's really going to fuck some people over. Yeah, and it, it's just, to me what's interesting is in other sports, you don't ever hear about, you know, financial troubles of this kind of magnitude. It's kind of just a soccer thing, which is something that I just kind of wanted to comment on. Um, yeah, no, Manchester City, <laughs> I, I hope it's a point deduction personally. Yeah, I have a feeling um, they probably won't go crazy. Um but let's hold off on that conversation. Yeah, but if they do go crazy, you know, we'll see Holland playing in the in the fifth <laughs> the fifth division of English football. I got a feeling Man City's going to sell off a few players uh, if they get yeah. if they get demoted. Exactly, which is what um well Barcelona didn't get demoted, but you know Barcelona's recent um troubles financially, you know, they lost Messi. <laughs> That's huge. That is massive. Uh, <coughs> player to lose for Barcelona um you know recently but we'll just have to see I'm definitely keeping my ears out to hear what happens to them uh all right well that'll bring us into the Premier League uh matchups for this weekend let's start it off with West Ham Chelsea Luke West Ham Chelsea let's see what do you think about it just in a whole how do you see this game going Chelsea are there were we're on the come up, you know, against Fulham, you had the Reese James Tifo. It looked like a sold out stadium. You had an awesome performance by Enzo Fernandez. You had uh, uh, Mudrick who actually, you know, made his full, he actually started this game. He didn't play well, but Hey, you know what? It is his second game. He's a young kid. We'll be fine. I think things are looking really good for Chelsea and things are not looking good for West Ham. I'm going to go two nil Chelsea and we have Jao Felix coming back. We won't have to, Watch Kai Havertz struggle to play striker. Oh, I cannot wait for that to be not our problem anymore. But, yeah, I think Chelsea, you know, things are looking up for us. I think this is where the comeback starts. Yeah, if the lineup looks, you know, kind of as expected, you'll have Yao Felix in the lineup. Uh, Raheem's back, right? Yes, he uh, he got subbed in versus Fulham. Yeah, so you'll have Raheem, you'll have Yao Felix, Kai Havertz, uh, Ziyech, uh, is Zakaria back? I, I know he was dealing with an injury. He is not back. No? Okay, so, um, obviously Mudrik is going to be there. A, a couple of other guys that are coming back in, and then, of course, Enzo Fernandez, a guy who I think played very well in his debut. Yeah, he was, um, he was .2 points away from being the, uh, player of the match. Uh, Kepa ended up winning it, but he won with a 7.7. Enzo Fernandez had a 7.5 against Fulham, and, 
that's a fantastic debut. Listen, it's not easy to be a it's not easy to be a player in the Premier League, you know, in general. But to come from the Portuguese league and to play as well as he did against a team, listen, it really pissed me off, Grayson, that um, a lot of people were attacking Chelsea for tying nil uh, nil against Fulham, and I think that's complete bullshit. Because listen, all these players are new and they all played well. Fulham is a team in form. That nil-nil means nothing to me. I'm just happy that we finally have all the pieces together and we'll have more coming back through, you know, injury. But Enzo Fernandez looked awesome in a debut. And it was only three days after he signed. Amazing. Amazing. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the uh, the trash you guys are getting for the Fulham match is definitely unwarranted. I, Fulham has been very good this season. They're in eighth right now. Uh, a position above Chelsea at the moment, and like they're scoring more goals than Chelsea, so it's not surprising. I think it's more of something to say about Chelsea's defense in that match. They played really well, though. You know the attacking still isn't quite where you'd want it to be. They still played a pretty good game. Yeah, Kirkarella had one of his best games of the season. Reese James, you know, he's still trying to get worked in. He was actually the worst out of the match ratings defensively for um, Chelsea against Fulham. But I cannot talk about Thiago Silva and uh, Badia Chile, the new um, French defender. They complement each other so well. And I know we've talked about it on the podcast before when we were talking about the World Cup, but if you are not watching every minute of soccer that Thiago Silva plays – not doing it right because this guy has he's been probably the best player on Chelsea this entire season and I can't really remember the last time Chelsea had a center back is like our best player and Thiago Silva age does not matter with him he is amazing still yeah and then you know to West Ham they're <laughs> they're in 17th place they yep. really they probably need the win to keep themselves out of the relegation zone. They're one point ahead of Everton, who uh, will get into Everton's matchup. They're going against Liverpool, but they're only two points ahead of Bournemouth. And, you know, both of those teams, Everton and Bournemouth, have tough matchups coming up, Liverpool and Newcastle, respectively. But Everton coming off of a win at Arsenal, or against Arsenal, uh, now going into Liverpool, and Liverpool's been on a skid. There's a chance that Everton could get some points this week, and West Ham might end up in a bad spot if they don't come away with either a draw or a win. I agree. Um, yeah, it, it really comes down to – I there was just – and you actually watched the game. I kind of researched the game after it ended. But the Chelsea-Fulham game, you know, there, it was just – there was something different about it. You know, the highlights showed that it was a really good atmosphere in the stadium – Chelsea fans are excited again. The players kind of look different. And, you know, they kept a clean sheet against Mitrovic and a Fulham team that's been scoring decently. So, yeah, no, West Ham are fucked. <laughs> Bottom line, 2 nothing <laughs> Chelsea, West Ham are fucked. <laughs> I think it's going to be one nothing. Uh, I think that – I think Enzo Fernandez assists Yao Felix on a goal. Okay, I like it. The Benfica boy, or yeah, both from Benfica, correct? Yes, they are. Hell yeah. All right, next match. Leicester versus Spurs. I surprisingly, or maybe oddly, think this might be a good matchup. I do too, and and here's why. 
listen, Tottenham just beat Manchester City 1-0, which was something that we both did not think was going to happen. And, you know, you and I, especially me, grilled Tottenham's defense. And they actually didn't allow Holland to even have a touch in the box. Fun fact here, Holland also didn't have a single shot in this game. The last time that ever happened to Holland was September of 2020. He was still with Dortmund. But here's why this is an interesting game, Grayson. Despite Tottenham's win against Manchester City and despite the good stats against Holland, Lloris got hurt this game and is out six to eight weeks. Christian Romero picked up a red card against City that was two yellows. And, you know, it, it doesn't look good for them. They're injured now going into a Leicester team that, you know, their last game, Iheanacho, come, uh, Iheanacho comes in for Jamie Vardy, who's only scored like, one goal this season or something ridiculous like that and scores once and gets two assists. So to your point, yes, this will be a very good game. Yeah. And their last meeting back in September, Tottenham took it six, two. I don't see it going that way. Uh, That one came off of a hat trick from Huangman Son, uh, a goal from Harry Kane, Eric Dyer and Rodrigo Benton Kerr. I just think that Leicester is a very different team. Now they are looking better as the weeks go on and look they're they're coming off of like you said the win against Villa uh a draw against Brighton uh, a midweek uh last week uh, a win in the uh I believe it's the FA Cup <coughs> excuse me and uh, yeah like you said their Spurs is beat up it's a great time right now for Leicester to pick up a much needed win at 21 points right now once again, three points separates them from relegation. Yeah, um, they're, you know, fighting for their lives. But you know, I just kind of wanted to throw some facts at you. So Vardy this season in 21 appearances has only scored one goal. That is, yes, the Jamie Vardy. To kind of put that into perspective to you, he's 36 this year. He was 35 last year because, you know, that's how birthdays work and shit. Yep. Last season – I like the yeah. Last season in 25 appearances, Jamie Vardy had 15 goals. And this guy, you know, he's a past Golden Boot winner. And I guess the age just hit him like a truck, or maybe maybe it was something else. I don't know. If, you know, Lester looked good with Ian Nacho. Um, you know, when he got subbed on versus Villa, like I said, he scored a goal and got two assists. That's you know three of the four goals, and he's pretty much the reason it won or they won. It sounds like so. With Iheanacho, they look like a completely different team, and I think he needs to start moving forward, especially, you know, you brought up, Leicester is really close in relegation zone. They need to make aggressive moves now if they're going to, you know, not get relegated. Yeah, I, I really want to see more of Iheanacho and Pat Sundaka. He's been pretty solid this season, 17 appearances, three goals, three assists. If you're getting contributions from your forwards, as well as the midfield, James Madison, eight goals, four assists so far this season. Um a couple of other guys have just had great years. Harvey Barnes, seven goals, one assist out of the midfield as well. You need to see more from the forwards. And if Patson Daka and Keely, uh, Kaliche Ihanacho can continue this form, I think they're going to be in a really good spot and they'll get, you know, a few points away from relegation. Yeah. Um, score prediction, Grayson. What do you think? Ah, <sighs> uh, man, it, it's tough to. It's tough to say that the number five team in the table shouldn't beat the number 14 team, but with the injury to Loris, I, I think that I think that Leicester take it 1-0. 
one nil. Okay, I I think Lester wins it, but I'm going three two. I think it'll be high scoring. Because look, right. I mean, Tottenham's beat up. Lester's proven that they have a good offense with Ianacho instead of Vardy. And on top of that, Tottenham, their best players are their forwards. So three two Lester. All right. Well, that brings us to Leeds versus Man United on uh, I believe Sunday, and. This is, once again, a great matchup. A, a matchup that was played on Wednesday of this week, which is kind of crazy. They turn around from Wednesday to Sunday playing each other, just switching stadiums. Um, <laughs> what do you think about this game? I, I'm very excited. Um, but, I, I, well, you know, I'm, I lied. I'm not that excited. Because, listen, the game on Wednesday, it was a 2-2 draw, but it Leeds got away with one here, I think. Um on Wednesday, Leeds scored in the first 55 seconds. That is when the ball entered the net. It was, you know, Manchester United sloppy play from kickoff. You know, they're kind of trying to pass it around the back, but Leeds are giving them a very good high press. And Tyler Adams, Grayson, the American, actually, you know, he's the one who makes a very strong tackle, and it kind of leads to the Wilfred Ganato goal that came in, you know, the first 55 seconds. The second goal, Right at the start of the second half, it's a sloppy corner um, defending by United. They kind of tried to get on a counterattack from the corner, but they lost the ball trying to play quick. Led to a cross that led to the Varane own goal. Um, and, you know, another thing that happened in that the game on Wednesday, Sabitzer finds uh, Pelestri, who can't make the touch, but he runs down the 50-50, Paul, um, <clears throat> versus uh, Ben Pino, I think is what I wrote. Can't read. No. Well, anyway, one of the defenders on Leeds. Plus, she drops the ball to Delo, who finds Rashford for a header. Um, yeah, Rashford scored again. Surprise, surprise. Then uh, Manchester United equalized the game. It was Luke Shaw to Sancho. Sancho back to Shaw. Shaw crosses it. It's blocked to right to Sancho, who scores, and it ends in a 2-2 draw. Pretty much whenever I was watching the highlights, what I gathered is that Leeds did very good in the first half and the beginning of the second half only capitalizing on United's mistakes. That was their entire offense. Once Manchester United started playing like Manchester United, though, Leeds were in trouble. I think this weekend, Leeds will get absolutely thrashed. <laughs> yeah, I'm going... I'm going to just go 2-1 Man United. I, I don't think it's going to be as big of a difference, uh, at least goal differential-wise. I think that... Maybe Man U looks really good throughout the game. They just can't quite finish on their opportunities. But I, I still like what Leeds has going for them right now. I do think they'll get on the board. Yeah, um, they definitely, I think, will get on the board against Manchester United. But I wanted to bring up some facts about Rashford. So with this goal, that is his 12th goal in 14 matches. And listen to this stat. This is pretty fun. Uh, he has scored in their last six home appearances straight. He's the first player to do that for United since Wayne Rudy in 2012. So over um, 10 years ago there for Marcus Rashford. And I've, we've been waiting for this guy to break out, haven't we, Grayson? I mean, he, he literally has been the best striker in the world since the World Cup's ended. I don't think there's anybody close. Yeah, definitely. And I, I just love watching him play. I think it'll be Manchester United 3 leads 1. Final score. All right. Well, let's talk about Man City. Versus Villa. Obviously, uh, I say that, and you would normally be like, why does this matter whatsoever? But with all the controversy swirling around Man City, how are these guys going to play? 
That's a good question. There are, you know, a lot of variables, but, you know, I think the biggest variable is that <clears throat> Manchester City are still, you know, a, an extremely talented team. And Pep Guardiola, I feel like, is a good enough manager to have the locker room kind of in like a bubble, you know, as in like they are not really worried about that outside financial trouble with like the front office and like the owners and the higher ups of the team. I, I kind of feel like, you know, they're geared to just kind of stick with their locker room and those guys. So I think Manchester City will still come out and play well, but it's got to be on the players' minds for sure. Well, think about it. If this goes back to 2009, there's a pretty good chance they've broken the rules to sign just about everybody in that starting lineup. That's a good good point. So, uh, like, anybody. It, it could be on their like in their head, like, oh, my God, like, I've contributed to the possible consequences that my team's about to face. Yeah. And so, I mean, they are playing against Villa, though. Yes, exactly. I was about to say that. Yeah. So, they're lucky they're playing against Aston Villa. Um, <laughs> <clears throat> when it comes to head-to-head matchups, Man City, uh, they're 28 wins. Uh, Villa has only beaten them seven times in 45 games. They've drawn 10 times. I still think City takes it. Just it's a talent thing. Yeah, and I I agree with that. I think City are just that talented to where they can win on any day in the Premier League. But the Premier League is a tough league. You know, everybody is good in the Premier League. It's just you know th- there are teams that are better. Obviously, I think it'll be two one City. I think it should be two nil. Okay, I like it. All right, that brings us to Monday. Liverpool, Everton, the Merseyside Derby. What do you think is going to happen here? Liverpool's on a skid. Everton, you know, coming off of a pretty big win. This is an interesting matchup with the time. I I think it is setting up to be your typical, you know, gritty Merseyside Derby game because Everton, you know, they just beat Arsenal. You know, they're the second team in the Premier League to do that, and they're in relegation zone right now. They're playing against their bitter rivals, who are, I, I mean, I all the attention was on how bad Chelsea were. Well, look how bad fucking Liverpool are right now. They they can't buy a win. Um, I, I think it's setting up to be a, a, a high foul, low scoring, just gritty game. And I cannot wait to watch this. Yeah, look, Everton's got a lot to fight for. We already talked about it. They're 18th right now. They're in the relegation zone. But coming off of a win against the league leaders in Arsenal, you got to say that they're on some momentum here. So I think it's going to be another 1-0 win for Everton. I I can agree with that. Look, Liverpool haven't won a game since December 30th. It was a 2-1 win over Leicester City. Van Dijk is still injured, and your offense has kind of been sucking lately. Darwin Nunes, he can't cannot play in the Premier League. Or, you know, I'm sure he has the potential to, but he's been garbage lately. And Salah has also, I feel like, kind of been affected by that. He hasn't really been doing much either. Cody Gakpo, when he plays, is the best out of that front three. And, you know, that's a huge problem for Liverpool. And, I, yeah, 1-0 one, one Everton. I agree with you, Grace. All right. Well, that's going to do it for the Premier League this weekend. It's going to be an interesting one. Definitely I have, have, a, to I have tune a question. In. Oh, I have please. A question for so this is kind of going back to the Manchester United versus Leeds game. I forgot to bring this up, and I'm going to you know form it into a question for you. Marcel Sabitzer made his full debut. Yeah, the guy from Bayern 
who is now loaned to Manchester United. He ended that game with a 7.4 rating. I also wanted to bring up that Weston McKinney made his full debut. He only had a 6.5, though. But back to Sabitzer, look, Casemiro for, you know, putting his meaty hands around the neck of Phil Hughes um, in the Palace-Manchester United game, he still misses two more Premier League games, Grayson which means that it'll be Sabitzer and Fred in the uh, in the um, midfield together. Do you think that this opens up a window for Sabitzer to take over Fred's job when Casemiro comes back? Yeah, 100%. I think that Sabitzer uh, – I think that Fred is maybe a little bit more – I don't know, I guess well-rounded – and his experience now in the Premier League gives him a bit of an edge. He's got tenure with the club as well. But, yeah, I, I think this is definitely his opportunity. Sabitzer, obviously a great player across his time in the Bundesliga. Uh, I believe, you know, with Bayern. Uh, before that, I want to say he was with Leverkusen. I could be wrong there. Leipzig. Leipzig? Yes. Gotcha, yeah. Um, And he he's been a, a great player. Though, you know, he doesn't put up all of, like, the best stats. Like, he's not a, a top player in the Bundesliga, and he's definitely not a top player in the Premier League now. But he does have an opportunity, and it's a, a great time to do it. Like you said, with Casemiro out, Sabitzer has time to prove himself. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I definitely think it shakes things up there. And did you not want to cover um, Fulham versus uh, Forrest? Oh, did I? T yeah, I guess I totally skipped that one. Uh, yeah, let's talk about it. Fulham versus Forest, uh, two teams where Fulham has kind of looked good throughout the season. Whereas Nottingham Forest, we talked about it last week. They made some great moves. They got the win over Leeds last week, and you know they go, they're going to Fulham, the the number eight team in the table right now, who's coming off of a bit of a skid, two losses and a draw. It's going to be interesting here. What do you think about this one when it comes to Nottingham Force additions to the squad? Well, I, I'm actually glad you asked that because the first thing I was going to say is that uh, Kaylor Namez was brilliant versus Leeds last week, um, and I think it was a 1-0 win. Uh, Forrest got the job done there. Uh, I think he was actually man of the match um, of the Leeds versus Nottingham Forest game. And Forest defense, you know, without starting Felipe, had a really overall solid, solid game against Leeds. And on top of that, Fulham hasn't – I think they have two nil-nil – no, Chelsea has two nil-nil draws. Uh, Fulham are coming off of a nil-nil draw versus Chelsea, in where, which they didn't score. Of course, they have Mitrovic guys like, you know, that can score. But, you know, it, it's, it's not looking good because um, – Brendan Johnson, sorry, I'm just trying to, you know, read my notes here. In his last four games, he's a uh, uh, forward on Nottingham Forest. He has scored three of his last five goals in his last four games, and he's gotten two of his three assists this season in his last um, four games. So, yeah, I think I think Fulham are kind of on a skid right here, and Nottingham Forest are just going in with more momentum. I think Nottingham Forest gets the job done 3-1. Yeah, Fulham hasn't scored a goal since January twelfth against Chelsea, so I'm, yeah, I'm gonna go Nottingham Forest two one. I like it. All right, well now that'll do it for the Premier League. Luke, this is your first opportunity for the new segment. Do you remember? You want to get it started? Or do you want to hear mine first? 
Uh, I'll get it started. Um, I just wanted to go ahead and say that, you know, Grayson is a brilliant mind, you guys. Y'all haven't figured that out yet. This segment is an awesome idea because he gives me the opportunity to spew some Steelers on you, which is what I'm about to do. I figure. Grayson. It's just like how Brock is going to just spew <laughs> Ole Miss on me. But don't oh, worry, man. guys. I will keep it diverse. I'm not just going to do my favorite teams. Oh, Lord. I love it. Grayson. Do you remember when, in weeks eight and nine in 2014, that stretch, that that two-week stretch of Ben Roethlisberger games? And if you don't remember, let let me let me remind you. Please do. Week, <laughs> week eight versus the Colts. Ben Roethlisberger threw the ball 49 times, completed 40 passes, 522 yards, six touchdowns. Zero interceptions in a 51 to 34 win in the Bumblebee jerseys, might I add, and finished with a 150.6 QBR. But oh shit, that's not it. Because a week later, also in Heinz Field against Baltimore bitter AFC North rivals, Ben Roethlisberger threw the ball 37 times, completed 25 passes. 345 yards, six touchdowns again, no interceptions again, and a 43 to 24 win over Baltimore with a 136 QBR. That is a total of a 76% per, uh, completion rate among those two games, 862 yards, 12 touchdowns, and zero interceptions in two weeks of football. Holy shit. Yeah. Big Ben, baby. <laughs> Oh man! Oh my! Yeah, dude, I didn't. I don't remember that whatsoever. What yeah. the fuck? That's like what he he. What was the total passing yards in those two weeks? Sorry if you eight hundred and sixty-two. Holy shit, man! And twelve passing touchdowns with no interceptions. Oh my god! <laughs> and what they end up doing that year? Um, <laughs> that's. I'm actually glad you brought that up because <laughs> I remember watching this game. At Heinz Field again versus Baltimore in the wild card got beat like thirty-one to sixteen. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, tough. Yeah. But you're right; those two weeks, absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, you need uh, to watch the who was who was on those teams back in 2014. Uh, you had A. B. Heath Miller, uh, Martavis Bryant, Prime Le'Veon Bell, Marcus Wheaton. Oh my God! I mean, I could go on and on. That was that was the OG Steeler like tight end receiving group there. That was sick. Yeah, that's some ridiculous stuff there. What was that first final score? Uh, the first final score, week eight against the Colts, was 51-34. to 34. Uh, Andrew Luck and Roethlisberger combined to go over 1,000 yards, I'm pretty sure. Oh, my God. Game. No, no, no. No, it was like over 800. It was that, close. That's still crazy. It, yeah. it does seem like the defense wasn't having a good two weeks. No, not at all. <laughs> Yeah, that that's ridiculous. That that's a fantastic pull for your first. Do you remember, Luke? Oh, I like it. I I, I want to make an impression. All right. Well, Luke, this one's a Yankees one. Uh oh. A little bit. Do you remember Jim Abbott? I do not know that name. All right. Well, here's his career stats. 263 games, 254 starts as the starting pitcher, an 87-108 record. Doesn't sound all that good. 425 ERA, uh, a whip of 1.43, and um, 
all those stats over 1,674 career innings pitched. So, Luke, would you say that's good, not good? What, what do you think? Give me the rundown one more time. Uh, 263 uh, games played, 254 as the starting pitcher, an 87-108 and 108 record, and a 425 ERA. That doesn't sound good. It sure doesn't, but what if I told you he was born with one hand? What? Yes, Jim Abbott uh, pitched 10 years in the major leagues, and he only had one hand. That's incredible. Yep. And he never even played a game in the minors. Uh, He came up with the Angels in 1989, having never played a game in the minor leagues, and he finished fifth in Rookie of the Year voting for the AL that year. That is insane. Yeah. I love when he comes up, he comes up, you know, once or twice every year, people would just bring up the fact that, you know, he did some amazing things with only one hand. He made the MLB and, you know, just to, you know, add on, he had a season where he went 18 and 11 with a 2.89 ERA, finished third in the AL Cy Young voting. But what really cemented his impact on baseball was September 4th, 1993, against the then Cleveland Indians. He threw a no-hitter. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely love Jim Abbott's story. It is just crazy. Who did he um, start out with? He started out with the Angels uh, and then played for the Yankees. I'm not sure if he played for any other teams, though. Is he a World Series champion? Um, Let me check. I, I didn't look all that much into it. Let's see. Because he was in the 90s, I'm sure he won one. Because, let's see. Actually, no, because he left New York in 94. I don't think he ever won a World Series. Interesting. Wow, what a player. I yeah. never knew that. I, I'm kind of surprised. He, you know, he comes up every now and then, and um, he's just so interesting to hear about. Interesting. I like it. All right. Well, let's take it into Stake Your Claim to end it out. Luke, you want to start us off? Actually, I'll flip it to you this time. I went first last time. All right. I think that Man City is only going to get a transfer ban for a year. That's going to be their um, their consequences. Interesting. Okay, I, I why, just, I, why I think, not a point deduction? I think that the Premier League is going to get a shitload of hate. Man City brings in so much money for them. And, and I know like Man City is kind of a polarizing team to root for when it comes to English soccer, but their international appeal is what makes them such a huge part of the Premier League and of just, you know, soccer in general. So I think that they're going to feel a lot of pressure from the outside, from Manchester City themselves, to maybe take it easy on them. I, you know, I definitely could see that happening. Um, you know, with how much monetary value that they bring to that, you know, billion dollar business, probably. So, I, yeah, I, I agree with that hot take. I could see that happening. I hope right. not, though. What you got, Luke? I have also have a Premier League 
hot take or sacred claim. So <clears throat> I have kind of like a two-sided one. Manchester United are going to be your Premier League champions this season. Chelsea will climb back and at least finish top six. Wow. And I I think, you know, a lot of it has to do with the Manchester City news. Of course, I'm hoping for a point deduction, just kind of like how uh, what Juve faced with the Serie A. But, you know, we're here for Premier League. And I don't know. Manchester City, I could see being fucked. Look, they also just lost to Tottenham. They've shown that they can be beatable. And Holland has shown that he can get shut down by Premier League defenders. And I think, you know, maybe the blueprint is there for other Premier League, um, you know, defenses and managers to kind of realize like, hey, we might have kind of a, a blueprint against Pep Guardiola here. And, you know, Arsenal just got knocked off by Everton. Uh, Arsenal dominated possession in the game against Everton, but Everton actually had more shots on target. And, you know, it just kind of goes um, to stuff that we've talked about on the podcast here is that. Arsenal don't really have a number nine. They kind of have goals coming from all over the place, which has been really good for them. Not against Everton whenever they scored zero goals and lost one nothing. And I, I don't know. I think the other top teams will end up slipping. And I, Manchester United are by far the hottest team out of the top five right now, even with the 2-2 draw to Leeds. And Chelsea, you know, I, I talk, talked about it enough in the West Ham preview. Spirits are up. The players are there, and we'll only get better players back from injury. So I, I think, um, yeah, Manchester United will win the Premier League and Chelsea will finish top six. Yeah, I feel like the Chelsea part is most definitely not a reach. There's, you know, the three teams ahead of them at six, seven, and eight are Brighton, Brentford, and Fulham. There's obviously a chance that all three of those teams could maybe hit a skid and, you know, Chelsea could just hit a stride at the right time. There's only four points different, like getting them out of sixth place at the moment. So, yeah, there's definitely a chance there. And I don't really see a lot of the teams behind Chelsea making a jump. So that one's definitely not too far-fetched. I don't know about Man U. Um, right now, they're seven points back on Arsenal. Yes, they are on pretty, pretty good form. I do think that Newcastle even has a chance to win. If you want to say that Man U has a chance, I say that Newcastle does as well. Newcastle hasn't lost in their last five games. I like that take. I think that the way they look right now, especially when it comes to the defense, they've only allowed 12 goals this season. That is five less than Arsenal. In, in There's the second one. That's nine less than Manchester City, who's third. It's uh, some phenomenal stuff in Newcastle right now, and they've only scored two less goals than Man U. Yeah. Um, going back, I, I realized that Chelsea are only four points out of the top six, but who who's the team in six, Grayson? Brighton. Exactly. <laughs> they are playing like 2009 Barcelona, <laughs> and that's kind of where my hot take lies. I eventually think that they might sputter out, and yeah, I think Chelsea could finish maybe even top five. Who knows? But there's my hot take. All right. I like that. I like that take a lot. Appreciate it, man. I appreciate it. All right, Luke. Anything else you got for the people? Um, Man, keep up with the podcast. Like Grayson said in the intro. Hang on. Let me go back to the prep sheet so I can read it off here. Yeah. <laughs> leave us five stars, Spotify, and Apple. And subscribe to our YouTube and follow us on all of our so socials, please. We're, you know, we're busting ass and... 
I think we've delivered pretty good content. You know, we've tried to come up with new segments. So yeah, stay tuned. We're, you know, we're planning plenty more stuff. Sky's the limit. Yeah. And, um, feel free. Uh, we've said the last couple of weeks, feel free to reach out, uh, either to our personal accounts or the second and short account, shoot us a DM, uh, even just leave some comments on any of our content. Just, you know, give us some ideas for topics, uh, anything you'd like to hear us talk about. Um, even, you know, if you have a segment idea that you think we'd, uh, we'd do pretty well at, feel free to shoot it over. We'll definitely workshop. And, um, yeah, I think that's about it. Let's go ahead and get out of here, Luke. All right. Peace. Peace.